going through things that are difficult, you know, build resilience and they teach you important lessons that you can use to adapt to life in general down the road. But that doesn't mean that your entire life needs to be just like pain and suffering to get through it. You know what I mean? Like you can get to a point where you enjoy yourself. Let's go. Welcome to Citizen. We've got a special guest today, Kagan Dunlop. Uh, you are a Instagram influencer, a thought, right? I think I don't, I don't know how to introduce you. So this is what I want. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just, uh, you know, a guy that spends too much time on the internet, honestly. But um, before we yeah. get too deep into all this stuff, um, <clears throat> tell us um, tell us where you grew up. What made you decide to join the Marine Corps? So I originally grew up in uh, Maine. Mm. So I was born up in there in the 80s, 86, and I was there from 86 till 98. And I stayed there until 98. Then we moved down to North Carolina because my uh, one of my parents got a job in North Carolina. So we moved down south. They wanted to get away from the, the winters, stayed North Carolina pretty much until 2014 when I enlisted in the Marine Corps. Originally, um, I actually spent time trying to get in the Army for about six years before I tried getting into the Marine Corps. But I couldn't get the waivers because it was during the... Um, what was it called? The uh, sequestration, mm. I think it was called. Yeah. And during that period of time, obviously, as you know, there was a big drawdown in uh, troops. They were forcing a lot of people out. So it was hard to get the waivers that you needed to get in a lot of times back then, even though there were people that were in that probably shouldn't have been. You know what I mean? Like, I'm sure everybody's ran into, like, people that maybe – would never have gotten waivers to get in because of whatever their background was. But I, I couldn't get in for a long time. I tried getting into the, the army, tried to get into the national guard. And, uh, eventually after about six years of trying relentlessly to get into one of those two branches, I, I decided to go over to the Marine Corps to see if I could get in there. And I got in, and I was in recruit training within a year. That's so. interesting because usually uh, during the sequestration, yeah, the army lost some. The air force especially cut back. I think they had like, I think they cut like fifteen thousand people or something like that. It was crazy. Um, yeah. <clears throat> but typically, as far as uh, not not as far as test scores or anything like that goes, but as far as um, uh, legal and moral waivers and shit like that, the Marine Corps is usually the most stringent on those things uh, compared to everybody yeah. else. Yeah, so what I found was that the Marine Corps was the most strict on tattoos and a lot of other things like that, whereas the Army was not that strict on tattoos at the time. However, uh, when it came to, like, other types of waivers, they were more lenient. It was mm -hmm. weird. It was a really weird time. Okay. And what, um, I guess, what made you decide to join the military in the first place? Uh, well, I mean, I had a lot of friends that were big into the whole thing. I mean, there were a lot, a lot of friends of mine that like served or were serving or their parents served or whatever. When I was a kid, um, we used to do all the stuff that kids do where you're like, you know, you, whatever your kids will dress up like they're doing military related stuff, you know, just being kids playing like, you know, <clears throat> yeah, playing war. Imaginary. Man. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. That kind of stuff. Uh, and then I moved to Fayetteville in 2000. 
Oh, that's where your parent got a job in fucking Fayetteville? Jesus Christ, dude. I yeah. thought you meant like a real city. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, my my mom was an Episcopal priest, and mm. so she got a job at one of the churches there off of Rayford Road. And so a lot of my friends that I made out there, their parents were in the 82nd Airborne or their parents were in SF or whatever. And so I was kind of immersed in that culture. And I was there for the entire surge. Like I was there for Fallujah, like all kinds of stuff. I was living there. So it was really a weird time to be in high school. Um, it, you know, definitely a, a different experience than a lot of other cities or towns that somebody could live in in America during that period of time. Sure. Um, but I made a lot of friends that in, inevitably followed in their parents' footsteps and they joined the army and they went off and did stuff like a lot of friends of mine. Cause we graduated, I graduated high school in 2005. So most of my peer group from high school and grade school and stuff joined the army in like 2005 in the springtime. And then they were in Iraq by 2006 uh, for Ramadi and things of that mm -hmm. nature or whatever. Um, you know, I missed out on all that stuff because I was a late bloomer and I was also kind of a troublemaker when I was younger. So it took me a lot longer to get in. Uh, and I didn't even really start the process. I, I, it wasn't until I lived. So I moved to Asheville, North Carolina in 2008. And I lived with a guy who was an army ranger there uh, who had gotten out of the, of the army and like you know he and i would have a lot of conversations and discussions and and eventually you know he kind of like had a real impact on me on like what i wanted to do with my life and like i, I would say i would attribute a large a large reason why i joined to some of the conversations that he and i had had um and that was kind of when i really started the pursuit of getting in was like about 2008 time frame which was kind of like when the clock started mm. for the seven years it took me to get in yeah um yeah if you had started in 2005 or six you would have been in immediately because uh the surge uh <clears throat> yeah so me and jared taylor our our unit my 82nd unit and he was our jtac we were mm. the first ones to get called up for that and in, in like winter of 2006 um, and they, yeah, they were just, and they, they, all the rules kind of went out the window at that point when they decided they were going to send an extra like 60,000 people into combat. It's like, all right, well, I'm not so worried about your hand tattoos at this point. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's it, a little different what, when they're like, when they need the people. Oh yeah. It changes everything. <clears throat> yeah. For sure. Um, so what were those conversations like with your ranger buddy? Like what, what did you guys talk about? What it was something that like, was it about service or purpose or what was it? Yeah. It was like, you know just i think the camaraderie was one of the things for sure that we had had conversations about like i know that he would talk about just the interactions he would have with his platoon mates and guys that he was serving with um i mean he talked about a lot of his experiences in iraq in 2003 because he was there in like 03 um 04 and i think he i can't remember how i think he only served for four years but he was i think he was in in like i think he joined like 2001 2002 but just like some of the experiences that he would like tell me about and some of the stories that he had and like friendships and relationships that he built. And I would say like discipline that he kind of like learned partially in due to, you know, as a result of uh, some of the things that he experienced, he, he said that he had gained a lot from it and he was happy to get out at the same time. It helped him, with kind of a foundational, you know, setting for the rest of his life. Mm. Right. And also just like the, the relationships that he built while he was in, 
uh, were very impactful on his life. Obviously, he, he stays he stays in touch with a lot of a lot of guys that he served with too. So, and that was something that you were looking for, kind of. I guess some structure, guidance, camaraderie, whatever it is. Did you play sports in high school? No, I never played any sports in high school. I did play soccer in middle school <clears throat> and elementary school, but that was. I mean, that's not really like. It's not like you're playing football or wrestling or anything like that, where it's like parents are like super involved. They want to be at every practice and they want to be like really integrated and all that stuff. You know, uh, that's why I've always been kind of a good runner, probably because I had that foundation of cardiovascular, sure. whatever. Um, but I was never really a big huge. I was not like, man, I really want to be on a varsity team one day or any of that stuff. Um, so who did you hang out with in high school then? uh usually the you know i guess i would say like the black sheep kind of kids mm. you know what i mean like i was hanging out with a bunch of kids that were just partying a lot in high school you know that's kind of what i did when i was in high school just partied a lot it wasn't like uh i was hanging out with a bunch of people that were trying to go to the ivy league schools one day or anything mm. like that you know which is probably maybe it's a blessing in disguise i don't know i mean i you know i I looking back in retrospect, I'm kind of glad that I got it out of my system then rather than waiting until I was in my 30s and having a midlife crisis kind of thing, because now I've got an extremely tight, narrow path that I follow that is very, you know, disciplined and strict. And, you know, uh, my life's like I'm, you know, I think it's interesting is like Stephen Ranella, you know who that is? I know Steve. Yeah. So one of the things that he said, and I, I'll never forget this this quote from one of the episodes of meat eater he said was the person you are today will be completely unrecognizable to the person that you are in 10 years and that's exactly how i feel about myself like 10 years ago totally different person 10 years before that even more so you know like i'm 37 now and the person i was 20 years ago is so completely far removed and unrecognizable to the person i am today that it's just like it's wild to think that I was ever in that position or ever living that kind of lifestyle. You know what I mean? So. And what do you think that was? And I mean, a lot of people fuck around and do dumb shit in high school, but it, sure. sound, it sounds like even afterwards you were kind of on uh, on a trajectory that wasn't necessarily positive for your life. Right. For a couple of years, yeah. even though you were trying to get it together. Right. What? what, sure. do, you, what why do you think that was? I mean. Just, well, there, I think part of the problem was is I didn't really have a <clears throat> I wasn't really I didn't have a good foundation in like fitness or health and wellness yet at that point. Mm -hmm. And so I was still very focused on like making friends and fitting in and people liking me and like these arbitrary things that are a central focus for a young kid's life when they're in high school, you know, uh, very different than. I am now where like now my main focus is taking care of myself physically and mentally and spiritually and all the other stuff will fall into place naturally mm. and just be a good human being. Um, and, and a part of that comes with just experience and, and just kind of like you have to learn those lessons. Um, and so like, I'm in a great headspace today compared to the way that I was back then where I was like, trying to figure out where I fit in and like what worked for me and like how to, I guess, find some semblance of happiness, you know? Yeah. Um, and I was looking all looking for it in the wrong places, which most, most kids do because they don't know their, 
you know, their butt from a hole in the ground. Most kids when they're in high school, you know what I mean? I certainly. Well, your, your mom was uh, in the clergy, right? So that's yeah. always a problem too. For some reason, <laughs> um, you guys are always uh, little, little chaotic assholes to some degree yeah. for whatever reason. But yeah, I mean, it is interesting how, <clears throat> you know, without some kind of guidance or even um, sometimes it's like an aha moment that happens that young or uh, very frequently it's something tragic that happens that makes you grow up earlier than you necessarily should have to. But um, we spend a lot of our developmental years way too focused on socialization rather than character building. You know what I mean? When I say socialization, I don't mean socializing with people. I mean like trying to find where you fit into stuff instead of yeah. – and, you know, which is, you know, it, it, it is useful to have guardrails in society and things that are acceptable and unacceptable, aspirational people, heroes, things like that. It's all great. But, um, <clears throat> you know, it's really important that people as early as possible get to the point where they're doing things for the right reasons, I guess, and not necessarily to fit in. Um, it, it like good positive peer pressure is definitely a good thing. But oh, yeah. I think that people who develop their character through positive peer pressure very frequently that character is 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 shallow it doesn't have roots you know what i mean like you have to mm -hmm. want to be good to be good yeah it's tough to it's tough to peer pressure somebody into wanting to be good that's mm -hmm. that's a for sure thing and i mean you know maybe some people are more easily influenced than others when it's in regards to you know how you're gonna act as a human being but sure you know, a lot of times, like, I, you know, I've been I've talked to a lot of people about this. And it's like I wouldn't change anything about my past because I wouldn't be the person I am today if I didn't go through or sure. experience things that I experienced. Um, I needed to have that experience. And oftentimes I need to feel pain hmm. of some kind to make any type of adjustment in my life. Sure. Um, which because pain is a big motivator for a lot of people. You know, if you if you don't feel pain from doing something, it's like if you if you put your hand on a burner and you didn't feel pain from that, well, you're probably going to keep doing it, disregard it, you know what I mean? But uh, you put your hand on that burner and you burn the crap out of your hand. You're like, oh, wow, I don't want to do that anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's uh, a couple things on that. One, the inverse is also true. No one can make you do the wrong thing, right? Which I think is an important lesson that you have to learn. But Because negative peer pressure is um, way worse than positive. Like positive peer pressure can stunt your development to some degree. And, and have like create shallow roots in your character, but bad, bad peer pressure can make you go to jail, right? Which is quite yeah. a bit different, you know? Um, yeah. And then to your other point, pain, I, I tell people this all the time. I think I mentioned it, you were at, a, at our uh, suicide panel not mm -hmm. long ago. I think I mentioned it there, but <clears throat> uh, pain and anxiety and shit like this, they're, they're not intrinsically bad. Those are signs. It's like, hunger and thirst, go eat, go drink, right? That's your body telling you that something's wrong. Um, people see these things as intrinsically negative, and I just don't, I, I think that's so stupid. You know what I mean? It's one thing, the Marine Corps kind of machismoed it, like, oh, fucking pain is his weakness, leaving the body or whatever yeah. moto bullshit you guys do. But, you know, there's some <laughs> truth to that for sure. It's like, <clears throat> um, what did what did Hemingway say? We burn the fat off our souls, you know what I mean? It's like, get you you're getting spiritually lean when you put yourself through challenging things and in the same way i mean i talked to a lot of people have anxiety issues these days which is not real they don't actually have anxiety issues they they're experiencing anxiety and they're letting it become an issue anxiety is just like thirst or fucking hunger or pain or whatever it is a signal from your brain that something's wrong and yeah. a lot of, a lot <laughs> of the time it is that people are super tuned in 
uh, empathically, right, to other people. They get into a social situation and they get 93% or so of communication is nonverbal, right? So mm -hmm. these people might, because of their experience or just it's a, it's a natural talent, are able to read other people's body language and posture and shit like that. And they feel something off and it gives them anxiety. It's like, okay, cool. That's, that's a thing and it can be bad, but it could also be good. You know what I mean? You can fucking grow some balls and go over there and, and fucking be the person who's got the nuts to ask what's wrong. You know what I mean? And I think this yep. is something that we, in our community especially, we have to start developing this skill because we're, we're trending in the wrong direction still after 20 goddamn years. We're still trending in the wrong direction on this. Yeah. Yeah, we got a lot of, I mean, there's always work to be done for sure. And, you know, I was talking to a buddy of mine about it. Um, he's like, you know, a lot of people think, you know, no matter what we do, there's there's still constantly these people taking their own lives and people committing self-harm and all this stuff keeps happening no matter what it is that we do. And that doesn't mean that you don't stop trying. Hmm. That doesn't mean that you don't stop trying to do something to mitigate that or to lessen that number or to find ways to bring people together and provide them with the tools that will help them get to a point where they can live an enjoyable life. Because yeah, yeah, like struggle does build character and going through things that are difficult, you know, build resilience and they teach you important lessons that you can use to adapt to life in general down the road. But that doesn't mean that your entire life needs to be just like pain and suffering to get through it. You know what I mean? Like you can get to a point where you enjoy yourself. This episode is also brought to you by BlackRifleCoffee.com. The best coffee in the world. As a matter of fact, they won both the gold and bronze medal at the Golden Bean Awards this year for their exclusive coffee club entries in the elite category. So the best coffee on earth literally was Circus Bear by Black Rifle, one of their ECS. So I recommend that you go sign up for the Black Rifle Coffee Club. Use the code CITIZEN. You're going to get those points off. And, uh, you know, you get all the benefits for being in the coffee club. You get the free shipping. You get access to all the partner deals. Uh, uh, you get access to the exclusive coffee club. You get access to any new products that come out before anybody else does. You know, it's a very large club that they have over there. And the coffees are premium. Every single one of them is good. Uh, you, you're going to get experience for you you can do just the plain coffee club and if you want your two bags of, of uh, espresso or your two bags of silence or smooth or whatever it is you drink you can get those two bags or one bag or whatever you want every month or and or rather you can use the ecs the exclusive coffee club and get access to some of the most premium coffees on the planet and kind of learn what it is that you like you know what i mean so then you can order those premium coffees from black rival as well so, and we all know they got the best branding, the best merch, and they're buddies. You know, we're all friends here. Uh, we love Black Rifle. So go to blackriflecoffee.com, sign up for the coffee club, or buy something, do whatever you want. Um, use the code CITIZEN, you're going to get those points off. You know, like for me, for example, uh, when I was younger, I didn't really have a, a PT regimen. I didn't like work out that much. But now it's like every day I go to the gym and I sit in the sauna for 23 minutes, 25 minutes at 185 degrees for you know, every day of the week, seven days a week, that's like a ritual. That's a day. That's like a spiritual ritual for me that I do every single day. I go to the gym five days a week. I train three days on one day off, two days on one day off. And I do it like that every single week. I don't stop. I don't ever ease back on that, but I'm always at the gym every day, no matter what. And this is all for my head, you know, like 
number one so another thing is i don't i don't drink alcohol i don't drink i am drank alcohol since like 2008 so like i spend you know anytime that i'm a, like awake like whatever i see like if i look in the mirror and i see myself like i have to i have to face the facts about who i am and what i'm doing every day on a daily basis and i have to be like brutally honest with myself because there's nothing like to cover that up so part of part of the way of like making sure I'm in a good headspace all the time is, is my, my workout regimen and, and sitting in, in the sauna and taking care of myself, eating the right foods, getting enough sleep, basic stuff. That's like, Hey, they teach you how to do this when you're a baby, you know, but it's easy for us to forget as adults. Like, cause once you get this freedom and you're like, Hey, you can kind of do whatever you want. Like you want to stay up and sleep four hours a night. Mm sure go do it like nobody's gonna stop you like your parents aren't gonna be there when you get older and like tell you hey don't forget johnny you gotta go to bed it's getting past your bedtime like no you gotta figure it out and like figure out what works for you and and ultimately all this stuff is gonna lead to you being in a better mental space and if you take care of yourself you're gonna be more well prepared and well suited to help take care of other people whether that be just being present for them when they're in a time of need or being available and ready to to help somebody that's going through something you know what i mean yeah for sure yeah it's uh to the point about drinking um i and i tell people this a lot you shouldn't use any kind of substance or vice for escapism right yeah like if you and if it's something that you can enjoy responsibly you should because it's fun right but sure if you're you should do it for the right reason if you're you shouldn't if you find yourself in a position where um you think oh i need a drink that's the best time to decide not to drink. Go have some fucking yeah. water and a nap or something, right? Because you're going to get a lot more out of it uh, than you would out of alcohol. Um, mm. <clears throat> and then, you know, I, I, one comment before I've got a question here. Um, just yeah. about, you know, being physically ready to help. We, we talk about self-care a lot these days, and it's just narcissistic bullshit, right? It's like mm. we, we, we just linger in our own uh, problem and anxiety. Like, oh, I've got to take care of myself first, and we become a perpetual victim instead of, having the attitude, like it, your goal setting, right? Like this is the reason that I'm fucking uh, uh, challenging myself and getting myself ready is not for me because it's not about me. It's for what mm. I can do, right? I mean, I think JFK may have said something about this before he lost his mind. Um, yeah. Uh, and then I want to circle back a little bit to this physical fitness thing. Why do you think that the routine specifically matters so much just from your perspective there's plenty of data on this by the way you can go research it if you want your yeah. free time but i want your perspective because you mentioned a few times that it's a it was a big part of your development character development the physical fitness part specifically but just routine in general how what, what do you think it is about that that helps you stay fucking you know i guess stable or or on your improvement path or whatever you want to call it mm. Well, I think part, yeah, like partly what you're saying, like having a routine is like having these things that you can look forward to on a daily basis that, you know, uh, genuinely improve your mood or, you know, uh, getting into a routine for me, at least like I kind of get, you know, in a, a state of comfort. I don't know. There's something about being in like having good, solid routines. That's comfortable for me. Um, Obviously, like I'm in a position where like, okay, if I have to get out of my routine, I have to find ways of getting comfortable while I'm uncomfortable. And that's like the most classic tip, like stereotypical thing they tell you in probably every branch, I'm sure. Get used to being comfortable while you're uncomfortable mm -hmm. kind of thing. But um, 
for me, like if I'm in garrison and I'm just like, Hey, I'm living in my house and like, I can do what I want. And it's like, I'm off work. Yeah. Or even if I'm at work, I can take time to go to the gym and take care of myself. But, um, for sure there's like all kinds of medical, uh, stuff out there that talks about like the release of endorphins, the release of all these positive chemicals from your brain when you work out that when you're taking care of yourself like that, that it just naturally will improve your mood. Like no matter what, what's going on, if I worked out that day, I'm just in a better mood. I feel better. Um, I am not as quick to, you know, lose my temper. I'm more like in control of my temperament. Um, I just have a better sense of well-being. Uh, I'm more alert. I'm more ready and willing to do whatever's going on. I'm not as sluggish. I just feel more on top of my game. And then having that thing to look forward to every day because I know it's like, hey, this makes me feel good. Mm. Um, and so I know, hey, I can schedule that my feel good time. And even though it sounds kind of silly, you know, but uh, it's that's just kind of like how it's how it's worked for me. But I'm sure there's tons of evidence behind why having some sort of a routine to your day is beneficial for human beings. I'm sure that there's tons of research on that. I just don't know off the top of my head. I just know from my own personal experience, mm. how it makes me feel, you know what I mean? Well, it's a circadian rhythm, right? I mean, all, all, all mammals are like this. And, and, uh, you think about your dog. Um, mm. if you feed your dog every morning at 7 a.m., and you, it's seven thirty, and you can't like. I promise you, you'll be able to tell that your dog is hungry. That dog will let you know. Uh, mm. They don't. They don't have a watch. They have no idea what fucking time it is. They just know, in their core, it's time to eat, motherfucker. Where's my food? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. uh, and we're not. We're not that far removed from this stuff. You know what I mean? That's that's still an upper level mammalian brain as far as evolution goes, right? So we're not too far removed from just the classical conditioning of day to day routine like that. And, yeah. but, but we have the ability and say so it could be a bad thing too, right? If you, if you misuse or don't use it correctly, um, to associate effort with positive outcome, right? Now we do this in negative ways too. Like, oh, when I see this crazy girl who's keying up my car, you know, I get that endorphin rush for a little while and then I have to pay the consequences later. It's like, all right, but there might be a better way of going about that. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. but it's a, I think it's a big problem with modern society, especially in the West. I don't really have that much experience eastern people are quite a bit more disciplined than us typically speaking because they're more authoritarian yeah. so that one thing follows the other but associating right. effort with outcome is a big fucking deal right mm. in, a, in a kid's life especially like getting that um um people talk about like teaching kids the value of money and shit like that that's downstream like that's that's one element of this it's associating effort with outcome i think is the thing that we need to really be focusing on because yeah. When you, uh, you know, find that routine, like you were talking about finding this routine that improves your mood, uh, think of you can think about it this way. Maybe you have social anxiety and you decide to drink or take pills to deal with that situation. Right. Which is, I mean, a lot of people do that a lot of yeah. way, way too many, obviously, but, uh, mm -hmm. there's very, there's always a better way to deal with that, with that issue, exercise, diet, sleep, Hydration, all those things are much better suited to handle that particular problem. Also, they're long-term solutions and not short-term solutions, right? Um, yeah. So I think we're kind of built that way. I really do. I think we're kind of built to expect a routine. If you, you think about um, the way we eat and stuff like that, diet, um, we, we've completely lost our minds with this food, with this food stuff. Like yeah. we not only eat too much, but we just eat fucking poison all the time too because it was convenient. And I think – 
it, the more you can push convenience out of your life, the better off you're typically going to be. Because it's like, I feel like convenience is like a bad politician. They're trying to steal some of your liberty away a little bit, right, for some influence. And it makes my life a little bit easier. Okay, here, you can do this stuff. And it's the same thing as eating food out of a bag or a box, frankly. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you on the 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 convenience thing, right? Because I typically try to eat nothing but whole foods. If mm. it comes in a box, I try to avoid it as best I can. I've got so my my one vice that I still have left over is I still like nicotine and I still like sweets. So I try to I have to limit myself to that stuff and I've been I've usually been typically very good at it but most most often and more often than not i'm usually eating nothing but whole foods like potatoes rice chicken steak you know stuff that is you have to cook it yourself it doesn't come in a box it hasn't been processed the less processed your diet is the healthier you're gonna be and i, I even get like kind of anal retentive with it like you know i'll only cook stuff with you know, with butter, like real butter or olive oil. I try not to use any sprays that are like mm. olive oil because there's like silicone in there yeah. and all this other crap. Like, you know, I try to I try to go for like organic eggs. Now, obviously, that's a whole nother side issue because like obviously you could debate like whether or not it's actually organic or if they just fulfilled whatever mm. basic minimum requirement to be considered organic or whatever. But, you know, I think if you go and you get away from eating fast food and you get away from eating all this processed stuff or pre-made stuff, like the more whole foods you're eating. And I think that that's going to have a direct impact on your, your sense of well-being and your mental health, because your gut health has a huge impact on all that stuff too. Um, and it's going to have a better impact as like a, a significant impact on your gains from working out. Like sure. from what I found, 70% of where your gains come from is what you're eating. Like, you know, your workout, you'd be slaying yourself, slaying the shit out of yourself every day. But if you're eating dog crap, like you're not going to really get the same results you want. And it's not really going to be as good for longevity, you know, because especially as you get older, like I'm working out just to maintain at this point, I'm not going to be Ronnie Coleman unless I get on like some serious crazy gear, which I'm not going to do because I'm still number one active duty and mm. I don't want to mess up my endocrine system. Uh, so, you know, I, the, the one thing I would consider is getting on TRT if I like get to a point where I'm testing so low that it's like recommended by a doctor or something. But, um, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot that goes into it. And I think that you're, you're spot on with like, you know, you got to think about what humans are meant to do. Humans were not meant to eat, you know, stuff that was processed in a factory. They're meant to eat stuff that you can find in the wild. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's so much weird shit in food, man. Um, yeah. Seed oils are pretty rough on our organs. Mm. Um, and to, you, plastic. You, you mentioned, uh, yeah, plastic, heavy metals. Uh, you mentioned yeah. uh, uh, shit. There's... I don't. I don't know. I mean, I guess it, it's it's just industrialization that created all this to some degree. It's like people people do, I, to some degree, yearn for convenience. But I don't think um, I don't think that was it. I don't think people got lazy. I think I think that the convenience made them lazy. You know what I mean? It's like how yeah. how do you say no? Especially if you're um, if you're in a food desert or something like that, which is which means essentially that there's no you don't have access to, to 
affordable like whole foods basically in your general area and that can mean yeah. a lot of things it can mean that you don't you're, you're in an area where people don't drive much right so the uh the grocery store that does have that stuff is a little out of your fucking driving range or travel range or whatever it can mean a lot of things but you know mm -hmm. people like that typically shop at, at shittier grocery stores and they tend to shop in the center of them as well where everything has yeah. been beat to shit and you know weird stuff added to it um <clears throat> Yeah, and and man, it's no, it's no re or no surprise, I suppose, that the mental health issues that we've generally associated with um, active military and vets is now permeating through all of culture. And there's two there's two key groups that are suffering that we haven't seen suffer that much in the past. One is teenage girls. Their suicide rate is rising faster than any other rate for whatever reason, right? We can we can dive into that, I guess, but um, mm. that's rising exponentially. And then the largest growing contingent inside of the military and veteran class is active duty people who have never deployed before. 33% of all suicides, veteran, or I'm sorry, all active duty suicides are people that haven't deployed. So it isn't just combat, right, that's causing these fucking problems. I think we, we sample on that variant too much um, yeah. because it's obvious, right? There's a trope for it. It's like, oh, I had a hard time in war. I watched my buddy die, so now I'm fucked up. It's like, okay, well, how do you explain a third of the people who are doing this have, ne mm -hmm. have never experienced that? It can't be that, right? Or maybe that's a contributing factor, but there's something else at the root of that. And 95% of your serotonin is created in your gut. Um, now, I know that. CZ and a couple other people are working on, we talked about this on a previous episode, are working on kind of fixing the defect problem we have. Because, um, mm. man, I've never seen so much processed food for, we, like, we are professional athletes. You know what I mean? That That is what the military is. Cause you, you can, you don't have to glamorize or anything. It's not like we're fucking uh, <clears throat> throwing touchdown passes or anything, but we run to the fight, we get in the fight, and then we run home. You know, I mean, that's the sure. that's the fucking job. And yeah. um, you have to be a machine to be able to do that shit. It fucking sucks sometimes. And you can't be mm -hmm. eating Otis Spunkmeyer muffins and getting full, like top performance out of your body. It's fucking yeah. crazy. I mean, even even today, after all this research we see about diet, uh, about, you know, dopamine and serotonin levels, uh, gut health and all this stuff everybody's talking about all the time. And if you walk into a modern defect, it's fucked. Mm. Yeah, there's there's a lot of room for improvement. That's for sure. I've talked to some of the some of the you know the junior guys to see like pick their brains on like what types of things they have at their disposal, or especially what, what when they're making like fucking sixteen hundred bucks a month, right? Yeah, like it's not like you you and I are going to be fine. I can go buy sure. my own food, right? And that was the case once I became like an E four E five or something. It was fine, but you know, man, when I was an E when I when I was a lower listed guy. Yeah, I, there's no way I could have afforded any of that shit, right? I just had to yeah. go to the defect. No, you're making like seven hundred dollars every two weeks yeah. as a private. Like, how? There's no way you could possibly afford to go buy food out in town. And that's why, I, like, I told them, I was like, I've rec I've given people recommendations about this specific thing actually, because I've had guys come up to me or you know, folks come up to me and ask me like, "Hey, what kind of thing should I be eating from the defect?" And I usually always tell them, I was like, "Look, if you can get." like hard boiled eggs mm, in the morning protein. just eat yeah. eat some like eat like five eggs every morning mm. and don't even eat any carbs like wait till you work out before you have carbs but or you could have if you do want carbs in the morning maybe just have like some oatmeal or mm. some sort of hot cereal of some kind like some whole grain something like that right and then for lunch like 
get some sort of whole foods, just do potatoes, rice, chicken, mm. fish, steak, whatever. Stay away from any of the processed stuff if you can stay away from it. And and obviously the, the hard part becomes like, okay, so what options do they have for, you know, their meat? Is it like something that was like farm-raised fish or was it wild caught? Obviously, it's probably going to be farm-raised. Like, let's be honest, they're not going to get farm, they're not going to get like wild caught cod or salmon in the defect like it's going to be it's going to be some farm raised tilapia or catfish or something like that you know and this is like little things and having like the option to have a good salad bar is huge like having the option to be able to pick you know between any types of like good good clean vegetables that were like hand washed before they were put in there so that way they don't have like whatever chemicals and stuff that was left over residual from when they were you know being cultivated or whatever like that you know what i mean um but there's definitely room for improvement, and then, and you're also going to find very like varied uh, levels of quality based on the chow hall or based on the defect and based on the location of that particular dining facility wherever it is. You know, like I've heard one of the best chow halls in the Marine Corps is in Camp Muja, Korea, like South Korea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've never I've never eaten at that one, but like I've heard that. You know, and then again, you'll have sometimes where it's like, hey, this chow hall is on Camp Lejeune, and it's not very good. You know, or there's like, hey. This one on Camp Lejeune is terrible, but this one over here is really good. And that one, that's where everybody goes because they know that it's good. And, you know, but maybe we should try to get something on on the same page so that they're all, uh, you know, relatively the same as far as as quality is concerned. But, yeah, there's definitely a lot of room for improvement for sure in in all that stuff. Yeah. Well, you know what I wonder? We have we have an MOS for water filtration, for water purification filtration. Right. That's a whole job. And Mm. when we we took. We went to Solder City and posted up in a fucking uh, four-story building, and we had mostly shooters, and we had uh, an S&T element that had, like, a couple of nuclear people, um, mm. you know, all the, the normal fu- ammo people, cooks, uh, water purification, shit like that. How, why do we not have an MOS whose job it is to source our food? Why don't we have farmers and fucking people raising cattle and sheep and shit? We have, we have literally everything else. We have every job. Oh, there's fucking 286 ways to fucking serve in the army. We don't have a way to source food. I mean, mm-hmm. didn't uh, I don't remember which general it was. I think it was uh, uh, fuck. I think it was a World War One guy. He said soldiers win war or soldiers win battles, but logistics win wars. Like you're yeah. goddamn right it does, dude. You're yeah. goddamn right it does. And how how on earth have we not figured out how to feed our people properly? You know what I mean? It's 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 insane to me. I can't. It's it doesn't make any sense that we haven't even considered. Maybe, maybe somebody has considered it at some point, but I'm I'm tuned in to pretty high level like DOD stuff, and I've never heard anybody even mention this before. CZ took up the cause after he retired this past November to like refit yeah. our fucking food system in the military. Man, um, you know MREs are what they are. That's that's that shit has to happen sometimes. You can't just bring a fucking uh, well. I don't know the the crusader armies used to do it but you can't just bring a fucking chef along with you everywhere and and a bunch of cows and shit right that's just not the way things work but um yeah you know when we're back in garrison there's no reason these guys shouldn't be eating fucking good food oh yeah 100 percent. but i wanted to since since we were on the topic of logistics mm. and things of that nature i read a, a post from a guy called the cognitive marine on instagram and i think that this would be a really good plug for this period just because of what you're specifically talking about he said he was talking about Alexander the Great, right? Mm. He said that, uh, you know, he was talking about like Rommel's campaign across North Africa, enjoying supremacy and good tactics with speed, 
but they couldn't prevent interdiction of supply ships between Italy and Libya because they just didn't have the logistic chain set up. But mm. Alexander the Great used his scouts to balance tactical superiority with sustainment of his force because what use is a well-defended fortress if you can't survive a siege? What use is picking a road or supplier out if you consume as much energy protecting it as it does helping you? Um, and one of the things that he would do is he would have people that would be sourcing food and potable water in every area that he would he would be sieging, right? Mm. So that way, whenever he would get there, they would be sourcing all their food locally and all of their chow and water and everything to sustain their troops there locally. And that would be happening far before the whole uh, like the whole unit would show up like staged and stuff. So mm. like you're, you're hundred percent spot on. Like you can't, you can't win wars without your, your guy's stomachs being full and people having water to drink because yeah. you're just going to, it's just going to die out. It's going to fizzle out. It's like, it's like having a fire, but no firewood, you yeah. know, what are you going to yeah. do? You know, you can't have a fire without firewood. Yeah. So you got to figure it out. You know, yeah. uh, I know that when I, when we, so one of my old platoon sergeants said that they, during the battle or like the initial invasion into Iraq in like the early 2000s, um, they had trains that kept getting blown up that had all their chow and water on it. And they were pushing in so fast into Iraq that they were just like steamrolling. But as soon as they ran out of chow, it stopped them dead in their tracks and they had to stop and wait because they couldn't like, you just can't go any further without chow and water. So, you know, we definitely, Got a lot of hard lessons to learn with that for sure. Uh, as far as like field, you know, field chow and field water and being able to like source logistics locally, depending on where we're at in the world. Um, but you're hundred percent spot on. If we're in garrison, there's no reason why our folks, regardless of branch shouldn't be eating at least, or at least have the option to eat whole foods and clean foods that yeah. aren't like super modified food starch, <laughs> you know, seed oil crap. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it's um, the the Alexander the Great model is a pretty interesting idea because whenever we would go to a new location to set up a combat outpost, a cop, um, mm. we would bring literal veterinarians with us who were mil people, members of the military, officers who were doctors. They were veterinarians, and they would test the animals in the in the general area. And if they were if they had the wrong too many of them had the wrong kind of diseases, we pushed them out or killed them. Right to prevent disease yep. and shit like that. Now, why can't mm -hmm. we do that in a proactive way where we just I mean, we're, it's not like we're going to places with a with a high income, you know what I mean, to fight wars. We're going to shitholes for the most part. So, yeah. uh, you know, why can't we just pay them, use some of these fucking uh, trillions of dollars we'd like to throw around and buy some goddamn cattle and sheep from those people. Yeah. Buy them from them and have our people who, with that MOS go fucking tend to that while we're in that location and provide us food. It doesn't make any yeah. sense that we don't do that, frankly. I think it's well, I think it's crazy we don't even consider that. The Marine Corps has actually been talking a lot about this thing. And one of the things they teach, they're teaching new lieutenants now at the the basic school in Quantico how to uh, like how to clean a fish mm. and how to really? cut up certain types of meat. Yeah, it's like no joke classes. They're teaching the new lieutenants because they want foraging to be a new thing. They want it to be where, hey, we could send a expeditionary force out and like provide them with you know certain funding so that they could locally source food while they're abroad so like say we go down to south america for a humanitarian aid mission for example well they would want to provide that unit with a certain amount of funding so that way they can take you know the local currency go out into town purchase like they want the the cooks for that unit that are attacked or augmented to them to be able to 
source local food as long as it's being tested like you're mm-hmm. talking about like it would have to be tested for diseases and sure, things yeah. of that nature but they test it and then locally source that food to be able to feed the troops rather than having to depend on MREs and UGRs and all this other stuff um there this is a this is a big push because they want to they want the marine corps to be able to operate in austere environments with uh, little to no support from any other groups and the only way to do that is from being able to work with the local communities that you're going to be involved with or supporting or or whatever you're doing um and i think that the army could could probably i'm sure the army's probably talked about it the air force probably talked about it i'm sure every branch has talked about it or it's been like con- it's been a, a topic of conversation at some point but that's 100% spot on things that are going to have to happen um you know especially going in, going into the future if you want to be able to maintain your logistical chains cuz yeah. you're not going to be able to you're not going to you're not always going to have air superiority. You're not always going to be able to get stuff from ship to shore if it's in contested waters. Like mm. you have to have alternative uh, resources available to keep your people alive and fed and and like you know in condition to fight. Yeah, and then then there's you know the issue. Of, well, first of all, if you're talking about winning hearts and minds, which is you know it sounds like a, a kind of a uh, sad platitude at this point, to be honest, but it is something that you have to do when you're fighting, uh, and yeah. in, in situations like that, spending a fuck ton of money in the local economy is a big step in that direction. Instead of paying uh, KBR, instead of paying Dick Cheney, not, I'm not going to get political cause I know you're still active duty here, but instead of paying some fucking conglomerate, uh, uh, company that has only their own stock price in mind, frankly, to provide all that stuff, spending that Spending a tenth, maybe, or a hundredth of that amount of money—who knows? These are big machines, man. I know there's a there's a financial and political component to this stuff that would probably, you know, stop this in its tracks to some degree because they have a lot of lobbying power. But um, mm-hmm. we would spend so much less money feeding our people if we weren't importing all the food and importing Indonesian fucking workers. Frankly, right? I mean, because that's what we do right now. All the defects around the world uh, uh, that aren't U.S. bases, right? That are, I'm sorry, that aren't uh, uh, domestic bases. They're staffed by people that are not even from that country. They're, they're brought in from somewhere else. We're spending a goddamn fortune on this stuff. And it's like, yeah. why? but why? Why are we doing this? You know, it doesn't make any sense. We can just have our own people, way less of our own people doing way more for way less money. It just, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me the way we've been doing it right now. But I don't think we were also logistically very prepared to be in war for 20 years either. I don't, I don't know. Maybe the powers that be behind the scenes had that plan. And a lot of people, you know, uh, will, will, you know, entertain those conspiracy theories and maybe they're right. Who fucking knows, but we definitely weren't prepared to be in a sustained 20 year fucking war logistically. We just weren't. Yeah. I I will say that there. So I think at the, at a large scale. Yeah. Like for, like, if you look at like, a lot of the bases in Kuwait, for example, that have mm-hmm. been there for plus 20 plus years or whatever. Yeah. They're sourcing a lot of their workers from like Bangladesh mm-hmm. and India and, and I mean, God knows all over the place, like South Africa or not South Africa, but just like African countries. Mm-hmm. Like I saw people, there's a lot of from- Cameroonians in, in, in that as well. Yeah. yeah. Quite a bit. So, yeah, yeah. I, African. so I was out there, I was out there last year in CENTCOM from February until august Mm. and i saw exactly what you're talking about like workers that were imported now the one the interesting piece is i believe that 
they're being paid a they're being paid a fair wage based on the location that they came from, uh, because obviously, like it's it's a very uh, it's still a lucrative a lucrative competitive position to be in, and like it's it's, it's still a job, you know, and mm-hmm. it's better than than you know not being able to feed your family back home wherever they're from, you know. Um, and they have like bus systems to get them around and all this other stuff. But, uh, there are some, uh, smaller outposts that do source local food from the local area. I I mean, I can't really pinpoint where on here, but there are some places Mm -hmm. where like I've eaten locally raised chickens. Um, I've eaten like local lamb, Mm -hmm. local grown vegetables, um, things like that, like it's smaller outposts that we have yeah. in places like Syria, for example. Yeah. Um, but places that are impermissive to logistical chains, you're going to have to do that, right? Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, because it's just like you're not able. There's no way that you could possibly support it otherwise. You know, mm-hmm. there's also some places out there that don't have defects. They're just like, hey, you know, you can eat from this local market that's out in near the the base, and you guys are able to like walk over there and get chow from them and and they they're vetted but it's still like on base but not off base it's kind of interesting but um i'm sure that there's a lot of places like that but at the end of the day like we're gonna have to you know we especially like when it comes to like financially speaking if you want to be able to save a little bit money and and also like you're talking about like building hearts or uh what's it called winning Um, hearts and minds like you're gonna want to support the local populace and they're gonna they're gonna appreciate the business anyway because you'll be you'll be you know killing two birds with one stone you're gonna be putting money into the pockets of the local people that raise animals and rate and like grow crops or whatever and they're gonna be like oh this is awesome we're making making a killing out here you know and you're gonna be feeding your people without having to pay the like outrageous amount of money to import stuff from idaho or wherever you're importing it from all the way down to wherever, you know, name given country, third world country or whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's all really interesting. So um, it's in good hands now. CZ's a good dude. He's He's got some juice. Uh, I think he's working with uh, Robert Irvine, that English chef that has a bunch of places in Vegas. Okay. So we'll see how it goes. Hopefully they can uh, get some movement on that and prove. Uh, back to you a little bit. So you started out... Um, as an enlisted guy and then you uh commissioned at some point what how what was that process like and what made you decide to do that or were you approached by your command for that no so i um i had a couple of friends who basically did the same program and they spoke very highly of it and i really what it came down to is nobody ever approached me about it i i was i found an interest in it because I pretty much had decided like, Hey, if I can't become an officer, like I'm just going to get out. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's the, the level of influence you can have as an officer and the level of impact that you can have as an officer on people in a positive manner is a significantly different type of impact than when you're just wearing your flat black rank. And I think part of it was because I, I've seen what it's like to have really bad officers and like the negative impact that can have on people's personal lives, mm-hmm. like their family lives and stuff. And, um, you know, so I wanted to be able to at least, you know, within my bubble, my sphere of influence, be able to have a positive impact on people that are within that bubble, 
You know, mm-hmm. I may not be able to affect everybody, but at least I can have some sort of a positive impact on the people that are within my sphere of influence. And um, I, that's kind of the thing that that kept me around is the, you know, be able being able to like have a positive impact on people because this is a hard job. This is a hard enough job as it is, man. You spend a lot of time away from your families, you know, like, and, you know, it doesn't need to get any harder than it already is, you know, and if you, you know, I think it's important to have people that are, that are, their, their, um, intentions are good, like mm. good intention people, uh, people that, that generally and genuinely want to help other people, um, and care about the people that are working with them because this is a people business. And sometimes people forget that because they have their eyes on getting promotion or they, they're like, I'm going to be a general one day and I'm going to do everything I need to do to get to that position. And it's like, I don't really care about that stuff. Um, I care about having a positive impact on people and I care about doing right by the people that I serve with. Um, and so that's what kept me around. Cause it's definitely not the money. I can make a lot more money doing anything else really. Mm. Um, but I, you know, I want to be able to have a positive impact on people that are willing to raise their right hand to support and defend the constitution of the United States. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, so. it is. Uh, you're right. You're hundred percent right that it's a, it's a people business that, that is a fact. Um, you know, if you have, if you have command that prioritizes themselves, then you're going to have soldiers and Marines who prioritize themselves before others. And that, that can't work. Right. That's not how the, that's not how any of this shit works. Um, you know, and it, and it, so much stuff falls through, it slips through the cracks and I'll bring up CZ again. He likes to talk about the human weapon. That's one of his favorite things to talk about. And I, uh, he and I have been talking about it for a long time and for years now about how, you know, you, you would never go out into the field with a, with your weapon all fucked up, right. With rust in your, in your barrel, your, your, your weapon jams every third round. That's unacceptable. You never do that, but we'll, we'll, we'll treat ourselves and our, and our troops like that. A lot of times, like Mm. readiness isn't just about physical fitness. You know what I mean? That's a big part of it, obviously. And it's not just about mental health either. Although that's also a big part of it. It's also about what it is. Like, why are you there? Exactly. Yeah. Like goal setting, having aspirational leadership, like, Oh, this, this Lieutenant or this, you know, staff Sergeant is somebody that I look up to. I want to be like that guy. You know, yeah. uh, and it one, it's important that that lower enlisted dudes and lieutenants think that way that they have that they set their goals based on good examples they've seen. Um, but it's all it's also, I mean, obviously important that they that they have those fucking mentors and shit. You know what I mean? It's like it doesn't take a whole lot of bad apples in the command staff, whether it's field grade officers or uh, uh, staff uh, uh, NCOs to completely fuck a unit up. I mean, completely mm. fuck it up. You know what I mean? Mm. So it's good that, you know, some folks are kind of sticking around and making sure that stuff stay, keep, people keep their head above water. Um, how did you get into the social media stuff? I mean, just for people that don't know Kagan Dunlap on um, Instagram, primarily is where I see it, but um, yeah, it, it's, you know, military related videos and stuff that you kind of provide some commentary on. Usually it ends with a question, um, yeah. How, how, yeah. How, 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 yeah. How'd you get started doing this stuff? What happened with that was the, it turns out that there was a picture on Facebook that I saw of a young Marine who was in his like dress blue deltas. He was mm. just graduated recruit training. 
standing there with his parents, right? His mom and his dad. His mother was killed at Uvalde. She was one of the elementary school teachers. And then the father died the same week down, mm. like, I think a few days later. So, like, this kid who was a Marine, he was a reservist. And he was at college. He was a college student, right? Just lost both of his parents that, like, from, as a result of this thing, right? Whether it was, you know, directly as a result or, like, you know, um, alternatively, right? Mm. But point is, is I found out that this kid had just lost both of his parents who was a Marine, right? And I was like, I need to get this out there. There was a GoFundMe for this kid to help him, like, pay for the funeral, helped him and the family pay for the funeral costs for his parents because, obviously, they're not covered by TRICARE or any of that stuff. So uh, I was able to get that out to, like, a bunch of these big pages that had, like, 100,000 followers, 200, 300, a million, a bunch of different people shared it. And it was like, at the time, I only had like 2,500 followers on Instagram at the time. This is, I think, when was it, 2022, mm. say? Yeah, so I didn't have any like following whatsoever on anything at the time, but I saw the level of impact because like it got shared all over the place and went totally bananas viral, all like everywhere. And like, I watched the GoFundMe go up by like hundreds of thousands of dollars after that. And I would like, check in every so often periodically throughout the day to check and i saw like the impact that you can have on a single person just just me being joe schmo with 2500 followers and the impact i was able to have just because from getting started and finding out hey what can we do to like change this and help this situation and, like help this young marine right um and since then i've done tons of fundraisers i've done tons of things with different people like some sort of an accident happens or something happens where they're like they're not covered and we can do something to like actually help service members you know who like slip through the cracks or whatever or, like you know for example uh a kid graduated from recruit training and he, he got into a car accident with his parents i think he oh. all right i'm gonna switch over cool yeah this is just let's see Shit. okay all right, last little bit. We'll yep. just do it like this. I gotta, I gotta figure out what's going on with that thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you're saying line, a, a recruit, his uh, parents died in a car wreck or some shit. Yeah. Bottom line is this recruit. Uh, he died in the car, or not? He didn't die. His, I think he lost one of his parents, and mm. his his wife was in the car, and she think she lost one of her parents. Um, I think one of their kids or one of their siblings. Oh yeah, I remember was, this. It was in California, right? Yeah, it was in California. Yeah. yeah. And he had just graduated. They were on the way back to like Arizona, Utah, mm -hmm. somewhere in that area, and uh, or Nevada. And yeah, like the just freak accident. Like the parents are, and the siblings are not covered by TRICARE. Um, you know, so basically there there was a GoFundMe set up by the family and it got forwarded to me by a friend of mine who's on recruiting duty. And I was able to like get that out there to to get people to see like, Hey, this is something that's going on. Like, check this out. Um, we can do something to actually help these people, you know, and that's just one example, you know, out of like, however many there are out there, but I realized, you know, you know, I can, I can really do something to help people tangibly in a way that that's impactful in a way that, that will actually like make an actual difference tangibly in their life. Um, and so that's kind of what got me into this thing in the first place. And obviously I do a lot of other stuff. I really want to get more into philanthropy in general, just because, you know, like, 
working with Hunter 7 Foundation, for example, mm-hmm. great people. They do a lot of stuff for a lot of folks in the GY community, like all the, the cancer screenings and stuff that they do. Um, you know, uh, Veteran Success Resource Group, helping veterans transition from, you know, military life to civilian life. Like people like this are doing great things for a lot of people. And I want to be involved in that. I want to be able to help facilitate that kind of stuff, even if I'm not directly involved in like moving stuff around. But if I can at least get eyes on it, like that's cool for me because uh, it's genuinely having an actual impact on people and and in a positive way. Um, And and really, you know, what it comes down to is like nobody cares more. Nobody hate. First off, nobody hates on vets more than other vets. Like we all know that stuff. Like that's just the, the most classic thing ever stereotype. Right. But nobody cares more about vets than vets as well. You know, um, like, I don't care who, who the person is like, unless it's like, um, what's his name? The guy that played Lieutenant Dan in Viet in the, in Forrest Gump, you know, um, come on. yeah, fuck. Oh God. Um, I can't believe, I can't believe I'm forgetting his name right now, but he, he's like the one person I know that does more than any, anybody does. Um, uh, Gary Sinise. Yeah. Gary Sinise. Yeah. yeah the Gary Sinise foundation, Gary Sinise, that guy does an unbelievable amount for for the troops like he's been yeah he's been as far like, as non-military right. non-political people go he's probably the biggest contributor to vets in, oh, sure. in, in the GWAT. i would think i don't know anybody who would be beyond him to be to be honest yeah he's he's a freaking stellar dude and he's like one of the most humble guys ever and it's just like that kind of stuff is inspiring to me and seeing people do stuff like that is so like so inspiring for for me and for other people you know, just to do something good for other people. Cause like it makes me feel good and it like benefits me to see other people doing well. Like I want to root for other people's success. I want to see other people in the community do well. I want to see them like recover from any ailments or illnesses. I want to, I want them to have successful businesses. I want to see us do well together because like a rising tide does genuinely lift all ships. Right. Uh, especially for people in our community, at least in my opinion. Uh, yeah, for sure it does. I think that's a universal rule, to be honest. Yeah. Um, we're biologically programmed to take care of each other. It's why we build civilizations, right? Um, it's just the way it is. Yeah. So I'm glad you're out there doing that stuff. It's also a lot of entertaining content on there. And speaking of that, before we get out of here, let everybody know where they can find you. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it's on on Instagram. It's just like Kagan.Dunlap. It's K-A-G-A-N.Dunlap. Uh, all my accounts are verified just so that way you don't get scammed by people. Um, if, if an account is pretending to be me, don't, don't follow them or engage with them. Cause I only have one account on each platform. My YouTube is the same. I think it's Kagan.Dunlap. And then my TikTok is Kagan underscore Dunlap. And my, let me see. My X is Kagan underscore M underscore Dunlap. But yeah, that's pretty much all the same. It's pretty easy to find. You can Google me and find all that stuff linked in there too. So sweet. Well, look, thanks for coming today, man. I appreciate it. Uh, very good conversation. Hopefully uh, some of the stuff that people are working on vis-a-vis food really gets changed soon because yeah. we need it. I agree. It's just good talking Good talking to you with you as well. I appreciate you having me on. I appreciate you being patient with my technical difficulties. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I'm a patient man. Everybody says yeah. so. Well, it means um, a lot, man. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, for sure. We'll do it again sometime. Thanks for coming. All right. Sounds good. Yep. And uh, thank you all for listening. This has been Citizen.